verses 1 to 11, and it's in the Bibles in front of you on page 1178. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus of Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It's right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. For whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, fulfilled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. To the glory and praise of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks ever so much, Anne. So it's great to be back. Uh, Those of you who don't know me, my name's Claire. I'm the Associate Minister here. And I have just enjoyed three weeks of holiday. It's been absolutely brilliant. Um, Most of the time, um, apart from the 100-mile walk my my husband made me do, which I managed, but at some cost. However, I have come back uh, full of energy and annoyingly enthusiastic. So uh, look out, everybody, because you will all suffer over the coming weeks until my energy runs out. So. I'm really delighted to be here. I'm delighted that I've got the chance to share some thoughts with you over the next 15 or 20 minutes uh, with Lola's family and uh, and Amlan's family as well. Um, And as Thomas said, we're at the beginning of a new, uh, fairly lengthy series looking in some depth at the book of Philippians and thinking about overall discovering joy. And we all could do with a bit more joy in our lives, couldn't we? I'm sure, even if we're feeling fairly happy, there's always room for a bit more. Now, this is a book in the Bible, uh, the book of Philippians. And the bloke who wrote it was called Paul. And he was kind of a first century missionary. And he traveled across what we would call now probably Turkey and Greece. Then it was called Asia Minor. And he traveled across there, um, setting up Christian churches. And when he moved on, he would uh, habitually write back to them uh, when he heard news of them to encourage them and uh, help them sort out anything that was going on. So this church of Philippi, uh, which you can just see probably in the top corner of the map, is it was a small city uh, in Macedonia. And, uh, and I would like to introduce you to somebody who was very much a big part of setting up this church in Philippi when Paul came. Her name is Lydia, and I think you'll agree she's rather gorgeous. I'll let her speak for herself, though. Actually, although I'm now living in Philippi, I didn't originally come from here. No, I came from uh, Thyatira, which I think you call Turkey. 
Anyway, um, Philippi is quite famous for its um, cloth dyeing, particularly the royal purple cloth, which is the business I'm in. I'm into royal purple cloth, which is what brought me to Philippi in the first place. Yes. Um, Now, I don't know if you know about Philippi. Philippi is a sort of big Roman colony. It's on the Ignatian Way. It's on the main route from the eastern provinces to Rome. Anyway, a lot of people travel on it, which is why it makes such a good place to do business. I love living in Philippi. It's such a lively city full of all sorts of Roman mod cons. Yeah, they've got a theatre. They've got necropolis, public baths. Oh, And we've recently got a commemorative arch. Oh, yes. We might be in the sticks compared to Athens and Rome, but we are very proud of how civilised we are. We've got quite a big um, military presence, which I I suppose is a bit like Cambly in a way. Yeah, anyway. So we're a mix of Greeks and retired Roman soldiers. Um, Not many Jews. Well, not enough for a synagogue. Um, Did you know that you have to have... 10 Jewish married men in order to form a synagogue. They don't count the women. Not that I'm Jewish, but you will find me uh, down at the riverside on a Sabbath worshipping with the Jews because that's where they go because I do believe in the one true God of the Jews. But I've got to tell you about this one momentous day. Um, It was down at the riverside, and this man called Paul turned up with his friends. And he sat down with to talk to us women. Well, that was momentous enough. A man sitting down with women. Anyway, he told us about Jesus. Well, I was hanging on his every word. Well, the only way I can describe it, it was it was like my heart opened to hear the truth of his message. Yeah, And as soon as he finished, right there, right then, in the river, me and my entire household got baptised. Yeah, a bit like Amalan and Lola, only in a river. I don't think you've got a river in Camberley. Anyway, it changed my life forever. Well, I wanted to hear more, so I invited Paul and his friends to come and stay at my house. And let me tell you, I was not taking no for an answer. And that was the beginning of the Christian church in Philippi. Not about ten years ago now. Never forget it. (laughs) Brilliant. Thank you, Lydia. (laughs) So hopefully from, uh, don't take this wrong, um, Lydia, from the horse's mouth, you now know how that church got founded uh, in in Philippi. And if you want to know more, read Acts, the book of Acts in the Bible, chapter 16, because that's where it... Uh, explains about what happened when Paul came to Philippi. So here we've got a church in a strategically significant place. It actually was the very first church founded in Europe. And by the time Paul wrote this letter to the church in Philippi, in about AD 61, it was kind of 10 years later, it was well established, it had overseers and deacons, so that made it really important. And it was a church which didn't have any big problems at all. Now, Paul, as I think Tom mentioned earlier in the service, actually was writing from prison. He'd been um, taken to Rome uh, and he was been in 
in prison and he wrote to thank the people in this church to, uh, for generously sending him gifts and for supporting him while he was in prison. Now even though he was in prison, Paul's key theme is one of joy. And now the Greek words, because it was written in Greek, the Greek words for joy or rejoicing come up 14 times in a letter that's only, I don't know, four or five pages long if you were to look in the Bible. Paul wants them to actively seek joy, to look for contentment and peace, despite what might be going on around them. And that church at that time was coming, beginning to come under some degree of persecution from the Romans. Um, so contentment of peace, and also he wanted them to, to live the life that God was calling them to, a radical new way of living, in line with the good news that Jesus brought into the world and Paul had shared with them. So that's enough of an introduction. You're probably thinking, good grief, it's only the introduction. When's she going to end? However, let's get dug in now to the Bible. Now, the, word, the words that I'm going to look at are on the screen, but if you want to get the Bible out, turn to page 1178 if you actually want to follow it for yourselves, but it will be up on the screen. So we're just going to rattle through these 11 verses that we read um, and just see what we can learn from them. So at first glance, verses 1 and 2, which are up on the screen, look like a conventional greeting. X to Y greetings. Okay, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus of Philippi, grace and peace, etc., etc., etc. But do you know what? In every respect, as we look at it closely, Paul transforms this simple routine greeting by defining himself and those who are going to read his letter by their relationship to Jesus. Now, we don't even notice that. We, we almost overlook this when we're reading this book. But actually, for the church in Philippi, they would not have missed the significance of the way that Paul is addressing them uh, in this letter. They really, really wouldn't have missed that. And he's reminding them by what he's saying that the whole of their lives have been completely transformed by the gospel, the good news that he came to share with them and which they have heard and responded to. And by addressing them as all the saints, he's reminding them that they're not just a little group of individuals, but they're a community together, community of God's people, people who are all called to be saints, people who are committing to serve God, and whose lives should be transformed by, that, by their experience of receiving God's love and his peace and his grace. And he says it all in just a few words, and let's not overlook it as we rush on to the nitty-gritty of the rest of the letter. I want to just read it again, but I want to personalize it for us today. Paul and Timothy, both of us committed servants of Christ Jesus, write this letter to all of you, the Christians at St. Paul's Camberley, including everyone who's in leadership here. Grace and peace to you that comes from God our Father and our Master, Lord Jesus Christ. Good start, eh? But it gets better. Let's go on to the next bit, verses 3 and 4. This is what Paul says. I thank my God Every time I remember you, in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Did you pick up the emphasis, all the alls in there? It's an intensely personal and it's an inclusive prayer for everybody. No ifs, no buts, no picking out individuals, no leaving out other people. Paul includes every single one of us 
Every single one of us, whatever our age and stage in life, whether we be young or old, with all our mental, physical, emotional and spiritual limitations, whether we're school age, whether we're working, unemployed, retired, there's no get-out clause. It's for all of us. Whether you're at the start of your Christian journey or just looking in or haven't got a clue what it's all about, whether you're Amalan and Lola just beginning their Christian life or whether you're well on the way because you've been a Christian a long time it doesn't matter because we're all included because we're all part of one church family and actually Paul expects us with confidence to join in with God's work now how's Paul able to pray in this way with this great confidence well because of his gratitude and confidence in their partnership with him in the gospel work that's going to go on until it's completed. That's what verses 5 and 6 are about. He says, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Now, just to take a little digression here, one of our church family, Jane Orr, did something rather extraordinary in this summer. I don't know if any of you know, but she joined a tall ship. A ship, one of those great enormous sailing ships that uh, is part of the Jubilee Sailing Trust. Here she is. Uh, she's joining this ship, the one behind her, in the port of Corona, which is in Spain. Uh, and she took a sailing trip from Corona to London, and it took six days. But this was not an ordinary trip. One third of the people on that sailing ship needed special assistance. They all, uh, one third of them had a disability of some sort, whether it was physical or a learning difficulty. They were young people and older ones. There were even some people in wheelchairs. But to make that ship sail, everybody had to do their bit. Here we've got a short video of them hoisting the sail. Have a look at this. There is some sound, so perhaps we can... Pop that up. Did you get the gist? Okay, so there were able-bodied people. There were people with their disabilities, somebody in a wheelchair. Didn't matter however weak or strong they were. Everybody had a part to play, and that's the actual ship there in full sail. So you can see what a commitment it was to get all those sails up. And if, every, if, if one person wasn't playing their part, then the whole thing wouldn't have worked. And by the way, taking the story a bit further, there was an engine, actually, but they didn't want to use it. They wanted to use the sails, and they wanted to use the wind, and that meant sometimes the ship didn't go directly from A to B, but it sort of had to tack uh, and seemingly not to go in a direct line. Now, why am I sharing sharing this with you? Well, as we partner with God's work, which is what Paul is encouraging us to do through the letter, as we partner in God's work, we need to allow the wind of the Holy Spirit to fill our sails. We don't want to set up the engine and go where we want to go. We want to let the Holy Spirit to fill our sails. And that might mean we don't go into the direction that we think we ought to. 
It might feel like we're going the wrong way. Last year, during the time where we were in between vicars after Mark left, before Tom came, we had quite a number of what we call prophetic words and pictures, words that come, we believe, from God to individuals within the church. And they all, quite a few of them came on the same sort of theme. And one I can remember vividly was of an old sailing vessel with a good crew, all straining at the oars, a bit like that Roman ship there. And they had their eyes fixed on the captain, but if only they were to hoist the sail. Can you see the sail? It's not not hoisted, is it? They're just rowing. If we're only to hoist the sail, the wind would fill it, the boat would sail faster, and they wouldn't have to put in so much effort and strain to row. And what that picture says to us was that God is the captain, we're the sailors, and the Holy Spirit just wants us to allow him to fill our sail with his wind and go in the direction the wind is taking us. And you know what? When someone gave that picture, another person in the congregation immediately got these words in their mind, and they were the words, ship your oars. Ship your oars. And she sort of thought like a Viking longship with the bloke beating the drum and everyone really working hard on the oars. Um, and God seemed to be saying to us as a church, ship your oars and set the sails. So what I think this means for us today is if only we can set aside our own agendas, ship our oars if we like, and if only we can prayerfully focus on God and ask him what he wants, then how much better we'll work together like that team of people on the ship, that, on the sailing ship that um, Jane was on. And we can do work so much better if we allow God in our individual lives and as a church. Let's get back to the letter, verses 7 and 8 here. Now these just express Paul's overwhelming love for his church. He's longing for them because they've been there with him and they've been there for him right through, whether he was in chains in prison or whether he's freely out and about doing his missionary work. Do you know, when we pray for others, perhaps we could follow Paul's example when he prayed for the Philippians like that. Praying with joy. Praying for them. Even though he was in this dire situation with a sentence of death over him, he knew the joy. And he prays with gratitude to God. And that that's a joy that comes from knowing Jesus. And if you don't know Jesus, then maybe today you might want to start finding out about him. Maybe today you could even say, I don't know if you're there, but if you are, could you please meet with me because I need you and I need some of that joy. Do you know what? I found this little saying from a a person called Meister Eckhart who was in the 13th century and he sums this up. He said, "If, if the only prayer you ever say in your life is thank you, that would be enough. If the only prayer you ever say in your life is thank you, that would be enough. Thank you, Jesus, that you died for me. Thank you that you love me. Thank you for all these people who are my family and friends. Thank you for your church that shares the good news. If the only prayer you ever say is thank you, that would be enough. 
Sadly, though, Paul didn't take his advice, so I've got to go on a bit because we've got a couple more verses. We're heading into land now. Paul doesn't end it, but he goes on to pray a bit more for the church in Philippi, for his flock. And this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best, make right choices, and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ and not for your own glory, but to the glory and praise of God. Let's just dip back into Jane's tall ship experience. What I think this is saying is that if you feel weak, or if you feel disabled by life, if you feel like that, or if you think that you're not good enough, clever enough, strong enough, or mature enough to be of any use at all, then I encourage you to take take heart. On that ship, not one person was superfluous. Not one. Whatever your life is like at the moment, whether it's easy or whether it's tough, God has got a part for you to play because he loves you and because he wants you to be the best that you can be in him. Like Paul, God longs to fill you with his love so that you can partner with him in sharing the good news of Jesus. So as I end, I want to leave you with a couple of challenges now. Firstly, quite a simple one, that you will commit to read through the whole letter to the Philippians this week if you have a Bible, or you can do it online through BibleGateway.com. BibleGateway.com. Just read it through. It's not very long, but it will give you a great feel for the overall uh, sort of themes and thread of the book, and uh, you will be blessed by it, I know. And secondly, I want to challenge you to commit to join in with us in this journey of discovery as we partner with God, as we go where the Holy Spirit leads us, as we ship our oars and stop trying to do things in our own strength and allow the wind of the Holy Spirit to fill our sails as to blow us where he pleases, where God wants us to go. And you know what? I can assure you of this. If you commit to do that, it will be unnerving. It will be unexpected, but it will also be really exciting. So will you commit once more? Will you commit for the first time to partner with God in his work today, whatever that might involve for you in the future? Are you willing to trust God to take you into new depths of love and insight for him and for others? So if you can say yes in even a tiny way to any of this, I'm going to encourage you now to join in me with the words of this uh, prayer, which I'm going to put up on the screen. And it's based on those last couple of verses in, in, in Paul's letter that we just read, verses 9 to 11. But I've just made it personal to us. So have a moment to read through it. And then those of you who wish to, perhaps you'd like to join in with me, either out loud or quietly in your heart. So if you want to, and if you're ready, please do join in with me in this prayer. I pray that my love will keep on growing and that I will fully know and understand how to make the right choices. I pray that I will be pure and innocent when Christ returns. And until that day, may my life be full of the 
works that are produced by Jesus Christ to bring glory and praise to God. Amen. Thank you.